Good morning. I'm really uh, happy and humbled to be able to be a part of this uh, service here with you. If you don't know me, it might be good for me just to say a couple things. I, I uh, pastored for 37 years. Um, the last place that we were at was in Brea uh, at a church called Downtown Chapel. And so um, we, uh, we retired uh, last June. It's been about a year now. And uh, well, I say we retired. Laurie is in no way retired. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I'm uh, kind of semi-retired, shall we say. And we uh, live in Chino and came here on the first service and in 10 minutes we knew this was a place. And uh, have been very happy to be a part of this body and very glad to get to know uh, many of you here. So thanks for welcoming us as warmly as you have and helping us to get enfolded into uh, this, this body of believers. We're going to stay in the series. Uh, Kelly gave me a, a, a passage that he thought would be good for me to uh, speak on today. So it's at uh, chapter 17 in Exodus, and just it's just uh, seven verses. So I'm going to read those to you very quickly here. says, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And uh, they said, why did you bring us up here out of Egypt to make, us, to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then uh, Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Well, there's a treasure chest uh, in there that you probably uh, have already discerned lots of different uh, ways that we might go. I wanna begin today by uh, telling you uh, a story from a book that uh, I have been reading recently called A Treasury of Jewish Humor. A Treasury of Jewish Humor, and of course it was written uh, by a Jew as well. And so the story goes like this, that a Jewish grandmother takes her little grandson to the seaside, to the ocean, and they're uh, there, and uh, he gets away from her for just a 
a minute or so and a gigantic wave comes and just takes him into the ocean. You can imagine the grandma and just absolutely beside herself with grief and uh, with uh, fear and panic. And there she is and all of a sudden, a lifeguard comes running down the beach. He saw what happened. He goes into the ocean, swims all around, finds the grandchild, brings him out of the ocean. He's a little blue, but he's spouting water and, and he gets him on you know, the ground and he, he does the thing and, and uh, he comes back to life. And he picks up the grandchild and he hands it to the grandma and she looks at him and says, well, he had a hat. And I guess it's easy enough to get the point there, isn't it? That, um, that this idea of uh, kind of never being satisfied and kind of always finding something wrong and going back to places where that cause us to mumble and murmur and gripe and all of that, uh, though uh, the Jewish writer pins it on the grandma there, we all recognize ourselves uh, to one extent or another, and certainly uh, most people that we know. And we're going to be in a text here that is going to uh, uh, underscore that, as you probably already figured out. The Apostle Paul in the book of uh, uh, Second, uh, First Corinthians uh, said this about the Old Testament scriptures, he said uh, in chapter 10 at verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And so he's answering the question, should it ever have been asked, well, why are we looking at the Old Testament here? What are we spending any time? By the way, in the first century, it was the only place they could look, amen? Uh, but, um, but if anyone ever asked that question, well, that's part of the reason why we would do that. We would do that because there's lessons to be learned, there's things there that we can uh, take a look at and find ourselves in the story. And I wanna invite you to do that uh, here today. Our, you know, uh, Ryan and Kelly are so good to remind us of this from time to time, but I wanna join them as well. Don't. Don't stand on the outside of this as an objective observer, but get into it. Get into the narrative there. Imagine yourself in there and where the applications might take place. Because even if you do stand on the outside, you're on the inside. You just are. And, um, and so we want to be able to deal with the text in, uh, in that way. So somehow the Lord was giving some personal direction to uh, the Moses and the people of Israel, a kind of a GPS as they got across um, the Red Sea. And just previous to this was the, the story that we're, most of us are familiar with about the manna and the quail and uh, how the Lord provided and how the people grumbled, by the way, before the Lord uh, provided. So there, there is, that's some context 
there and he leads them out of uh, that area there and uh, they show up uh, at Rephidim, right? Kind of in the shadow of Mount Sinai, that's where they go and they find out or they begin to discover that uh, we may well be uh, supplied with the manna but there's nothing to drink with it and we're thirsty and we'd like some water now. Now is when we want it. See, you're all looking at me like, okay, okay, I'm in the story. I'm in the story. I, are you that way? Are you, I kind of like, you know, there's, there's still this part of the, 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 the sin virus and, that lives inside of me that rises up from time to time and says something like this, I want what I want, when I want, where I want it, and I want it right now. Now, I'm sophisticated enough as a Christian to never let too many people know that I would, <laughs> that I would even think such a thought, right? So I have other ways of expressing that. Lori knows all of them and sees through them immediately. But we, we, we really, that's still there, I think, inside of most of us. Now, it may be there a little less because we've paid attention to the scriptures and we've given ourselves to the work of the Spirit and so we're doing better, amen? But nonetheless, uh, it's there and of course, these are folks that were recently slaves. These are folks that have sort of just become the people of God. And so they're learning, right? How many of you would count yourself among the learners, even yet? And the reason, at least that I do, maybe for you too, is that I read the stories and I'm saying, well, yeah, I mean, I'd have, I'd have probably been a part of, you know, Hey Moses, you're a little slow on the switch with the awa. <laughs> and would you please, would you please get something going? And I don't know if you, if you notice the dialogue between the people, and they get Moses and God all mixed up. They're not quite sure where the source of all of this is coming from, but it seems like every time something good happens, Moses is making it happen. And Moses is smart enough most of the time not to take any credit at all for that, and he's always trying to point to, to God. But isn't that also a problem that we can have sometimes is that we can um, uh, attach ourselves to a spiritual leader, perhaps, or, and, and begin to then bring a sort of uh, unholy dependence upon them. And of course, anybody that's ever been a leader knows really that we can't do much for anybody <laughs> apart from God, really. We, there's just not much we can do at all. And so this is, um, so this is Moses' dilemma. And he's, you know, most of the time, Moses is just minding his own business. He's a wonderful picture of a guy that was just minding his own business, starting when he was a shepherd way out there and just trying to, you know, I just want a peaceful life. I'll take care of these sheep. And God says, now I'm just going to get you involved in here. We're just going to complicate everything. And, and so this is part of the complication here. He becomes uh, a reluctant leader 
uh, in, among these people. And what he finds out as he leads these people or tries to, that they, they tend to grumble. They tend to, to murmur. They tend to gripe when they don't get what they want, amen? And, and, and again, it is, a, it is a something that's, that I think is very common. And by the way, they do this. This is, you know, 10 plagues, right? You want to talk about, I mean, the miraculous happening before them on a regular basis, the Red Sea opening, all this other stuff. And it sort of calls into question exactly how much sustenance do miracles have in people's lives? I mean, the shelf life, how easily people forget, huh? And it's like, you know, it becomes a, what have you done for me lately situation with God rather than remember when, remember when, and remember this thing. And remember when he did that. And our life in God is all about remembering. It isn't that we don't look forward because we do. But if you cut out that remembering part, you end up like these guys. Amen? Where it's just, where, where you never are able to recall the good things that God has done. And what that does is fortify us in the day of depletion. And there's a lot of those days of depletion over the course of a lifetime, have you noticed? I had what I needed, then I didn't have what I needed. And so what do I do there? I got choices, I can get mad at God, I can, again, the sophisticated Christian, right? You know, the inner dialogue, it turns into some kind of a really ticked off, curmudgeonly person that's the last time. I, you know, I've been burned, I've been hurt. God's not listening to me. Nobody's saying this except the, what's going on in here and the enemy of your soul that's going rah, 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 right? Let's keep that conversation going so that faith gets pat, uh, tamped down and so that we never rise to be able to touch the things that he has out in front of us. We're just camped out someplace moaning and groaning about what ain't happening. Amen? Kind of want to duck when I say stuff like that because, <laughs> because it's just true. It's true about our nature. I wish it wasn't. When we get to heaven, you won't have that inner conversation. You won't, have, you won't be dealing with that, but until then strongholds continue to seek to be built in your mind regarding God and regarding what's happened to you in the past and regarding how those things would love to control you in your relationship to God. And as a result, you get a lot of moaning and groaning and griping and complaining and all that going on in here. For a lot of us, we can get control of that. We can at least hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't say any of that stuff anywhere. <laughs> Amen? Just shut up. And, 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 <laughs> right? But for others of us, it just, it just comes out, you know? 
And I think there was a lot of that there. You know, it's like, how many are on Facebook? How many know there's people who haven't learned that lesson about like, don't say any of that anywhere, right? And it becomes like, you know, public therapy for everybody. And if you're, I wanna gently say to you, if that's like something you do, I would encourage you to maybe, you know, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. These people were were involved in a kind of a a training camp um, that God was, was putting them in. They wanted Moses or God or somebody to sort of become their butler and just, okay, uh, we would like this now, please. And they were learning that that's not what was gonna happen. And this distrust, you know, just continued to fester. Now, listen, I wanna say to you that the problem of not having water is very real. So it wasn't like there wasn't a legitimate problem there, but it was their response. And their response seemed to be, at least from Moses' prayer to God, um, there have been threats on my life as a result of this thing, oh God. And I need some, some help here. They, they some of them are thinking that, that I led them out here to kill their kids and to kill their livestock and their, their livelihood. And um, so this is, this is what's going on. How many still want to be a leader? <laughs> this, this, just, this wipes out all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, aspirations that maybe <laughs> aren't as holy as they should be. That's ah, okay, I'll just uh, do something else. So Moses responds to them with a couple of questions. Why do you quarrel with me, and why do you put the Lord to the test? So it was good that he was able to make that distinction. I'm not your problem. I'm not the source of whatever problem that you think you have, and why are you quarreling with with God, why are you putting uh, the Lord to the test? Apparently, Moses was pretty sure, and I guess if we were Moses, we might be pretty sure too. He was pretty sure water was gonna show up. Because he he knew that, that, that he wasn't out there to be played games with or anything like that, that there was purpose for him there. They're just, but you know, it was hot. Would you agree that Chino's hot? Yeah, Yeah, it's gonna get hotter this week too, by the way, if the weatherman's right. You know, and so you're out there and the air conditioning breaks down in your house or or you have to walk somewhere because your car's not working and you begin, you can kind of get into their shoes a little bit about how hot it could be and, and how miserable that could make a person who was a former slave, by the way, and not used to depending on God. And so here they are, and Moses asks those questions, and they, they just thought, well, we need to make a little noise, we need to get things going, you know, maybe, maybe God doesn't realize that we're thirsty, 
and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna help him. And just to make sure that Moses gets, uh, you know, he gets the message, we'll just threaten his life, too. You know, nothing like a death threat to kind of raise up the visibility of an issue. <laughs> Now what I notice in here is that there does not seem to be any anger from the Lord in you know, a way that, uh, that might uh, you know, scare you. Ever read the Old Testament and go, whoa. Yeah, Old Testament can be scary, unless, unless you understand context and, and, and unless you can see it through the lens of the New Testament. If you just read something point blank, well the Lord here doesn't, you know, I think the Lord is in heaven looking down going, you know, just, oy vey. Again, again, they don't trust me. I don't, I, you know, I made the manna. I got the quail over there. I opened up the Red Sea. What do you want? You know. <laughs> so, so he does a very wise thing and he says, get the leaders together and you go ahead and walk out in front of the people. I think he told them that because, because he wanted to assure Moses, look, they're not gonna kill you. You're gonna be all right. But he gets all these leaders and elders who, by the way, may have been some of the grumblers. You never know. But he gets them uh, together and tells them to take the staff. That, remember that staff that turned the Nile to blood so nobody could drink? Well, now we're going to use that staff to make some water. So, takes them, and he says, I'll stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. And apparently, they knew exactly where that was. And, and they go over, and he says, I'm going to be right there. And when you get there, strike the rock. And he struck the rock, and water this is strike the rock, water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Very, very important. Moses could have, right? What he could have done is, uh, if he was left to himself, was uh, just gone, tried to handle this uh, on his own. And that hardly ever works. As a former leader in the church, I was always better off when I was working with people than when I was working independent of people and making decisions and doing certain things. And so the Lord sort of helps him here. He's giving him some leadership 101 stuff. He says, he says don't do this by yourself. Let's solve this problem together with some of the other leaders who have a little juice with the people. Amen? So. That's, that's what happened. He did it in the sight of the elders, and then he named the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's a, that's a very poignant question, isn't it? It's a really important question because if we didn't believe that the Lord was among us here, and I believe that you believe that, otherwise what in the world are you doing here on a Sunday morning? Can you think of at least three other places you might be? Right? And you might have done it a little later in the morning, actually, if it was your choice. 
but you're here. If the Lord is not with us, we just got a kind of, uh, I don't know, Rotary Club meeting here or something, <laughs> right? A little, uh, a little like a community meeting of some of the nicest people in Chino, by the way. <laughs> but that's all we got. But it's a good question to ask, is the Lord among us or not? Now we can go a couple of different ways with this story as, as I finish up here. We can get all like judgmental and stand on the outside and say, those crazy Israelites did it again. Aren't they just something else? They just never learned their lesson, right? You can do that. I wouldn't advise that because that's not going to do you any good. And it's going to put you in a place where you cannot be touched in a very real way by God. You can go another way and there might be three things that would help us if we go this other way. We can recognize our own enduring commitment to self-interest. I mean, that thing's pretty strong in all of us, huh? I want what I want, where I want, when I want, right? And I just, you know, me first and all of that. We can uh, also re uh, recognize our uh, our tendency to not recognize the Lord's presence, right? You get in some kind of a situation and it's not looking good for you. It could have, could have something to do with your marriage, one of your kids, could have something to do with your parents, it could have something to do with employment, it could have something to do with your bank account, whatever. You get into these tight spots and you begin to question, is God, is God still here? Are, are, are you here? And the reason we're asking that question, because it really is a ludicrous question, folks. When, when you're not there, it's a ludicrous question. Of course, God. I, I mean, and then you would, you know, say, just go outside at nighttime, look at the stars again. You know, they're there. And, and he did all of that. And there's so many wonderful stories in your life, probably, where you can, again, recall, look back, remember, right? He hasn't gone anywhere. He, but... Sometimes we feel abandoned. Sometimes he's a little slow on the switch as far as we're concerned. Sometimes um, there were dreams and promises that he breathed into our soul at some point, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that at all. And we get nervous about that, and sometimes we get mad about that, and sometimes we harden our hearts. We say, you know what, I'm never believing God again for anything. I got sucked in once, I'm not going to get sucked in again. In the name of Jesus, I break that lie and that curse over any of you that have hardened your heart in that regard. God has promises. God has things for you, custom-tailored from heaven to earth, things for you to be and things for you to do. And if you harden your heart against that, then you take yourself out of the game and you become useless. And then you get harder. And then you get more grumbly and murmury and all, you know, complaining and everything. And don't you love to be around those people? 
Aren't they just a joy? <laughs> and then our propensity as well, we can recognize our propensity not to trust God for our daily needs. And that's just the stuff that comes up. I don't know about you, but I get sideswiped regularly by all sorts of things. I'm just minding my own business and stuff comes out of nowhere, boom. Information, news, uh, something happens. It's sort of out of my control, but it's in my sphere of influence. And I was feeling pretty good at breakfast and now it's dinner time and all hell's broken loose. Amen? Been there? Absolutely. And so, we have a propensity, somehow we're trusting him pretty good at breakfast because, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go, and you know, God is in his heaven, and it's just a lovely, lovely day, and then this stuff happens. And God hasn't changed a quarter turn from breakfast to dinner. Not a quarter turn, he's the same God. And always, listen, always working behind the curtain behind the curtain, but he's not the Wizard of Oz. He's God, and he knows how to get things done. He knows how to set things up. He's got a timing that's absolutely perfect, and if we'll be patient with that till the water comes, amen? We'll get the water, we'll get the blessing, and then we will move on to the promised land, where the promises will be that he has made to you and to me. Amen? Amen. Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. God is with us. He is with us. He hasn't gone anywhere. He is with us. And not just Chino Southland's big picture, though he is here. He's at your address in the middle of your crises, in the middle of your sadness, in the middle of your needing to get healed but don't know how yet, in the middle of all that stuff, right? I'm getting adjusted here. Am I doing good or is it good? It's up on my ear. No, I don't talk from up there very often. Although Lori has meant, never mind, yeah. Yeah. Psalm 95, verses seven and eight says this, today, today, right? July 22nd, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and they tried me, though they had seen what I did. So it says, don't do that. Don't, don't, there's, there's no need. He knows what we need. No need to get ugly about it. Amen? No need to shake our fist at him. He's there. He's there. He's working. He's getting things done, and you can't see it. And that's called faith. <laughs> and that's a great big part of the deal, isn't it? So reinvest your trust in Almighty God. He knows where the water is. He'll get the water flowing. It'll be good. 
It'll be real good. Amen? Yeah. We're going to go to communion just now, so I'm going to ask the, the band to come up. And I think some of the things in here that we looked at in this great story can prompt us to find a place before the Lord at communion time, a place perhaps of repentance, a place of forgiveness, a place to reinvest our faith in Him, a place to ask Him, if we haven't in a long time, to ask Him to heal us, dealing with some horrible malady in our mind or in our bodies, that we would come to the communion table and ask the Lord one more time and say, I'm, I'm in this. I will not isolate myself. I will not harden my heart, but I will draw near to the throne of grace and find what I need there and not in my propensity to grumble or to murmur or to gripe. Amen. Smile at me. Okay. Okay. So we're going to, I'm going to uh, invite you to go to the communion table at the table. There is a box there for offerings. For those that are part of the family here at, at uh, Southlands, we invite you to avail yourself to that. If you're visiting here, you'd like to give, we would love to receive, but otherwise, don't feel no compulsion to, uh, to participate at that point. So let's, let's uh, move toward the uh, four stations of communion and let's have communion.